So here's the question. Have you, have you ever had to hold one of these in a restaurant? Like, like you come and, you know, one, one of these pagers, and then you have to wait. It's horrible. It's a horrible experience. Uh, you hold it, you hold it. Any of you ever feel like yours is broken? It's just like, yeah, so I'm sitting there like, I, I don't know, because, you know, you wait and you wait and you wait, and then some people come in and they end up going ahead of you, and you're thinking like, hey, I got here before they, they did. Oh, any of you ever go up to the host to make sure your name is still on the list? Like, you know, maybe somehow somebody got in under my name. Maybe they somehow scratched it out. I don't know. Uh, but, you know, people come in after you, but they end up go, going ahead of you. And maybe you go ask about it, and they go, oh, they got here an hour ago. They got their name on the list. And you wait, and you wait, and it's so frustrating. And if you're a Christian, it's worse because you're supposed to be polite. And see, and the problem, I've got it extra bad, bad because if I'm wearing short sleeves, because I've got like G- Jesus and scripture references on my forearms and, you know, what does love require of me? I can't tell you how many situations, not even with the restaurant, where my, you know, maybe I'm getting a little irritated, a little impatient, and my loving wife will just very gently say, babe, remember your arm. It's like, oh, he's thinking tattoos. Like, why, why do I have these? Or, you know, how many of you, in, you're in the grocery store or in a store, especially around the holidays, how many of you you're getting ready to check out, how many of you scan all the lines to determine which one you think will get you out the fastest, right? Just like, you know, get out most quickly. Or for those of you, you travel by air, you get your, board, your, your boarding pass, you see your zone number, and it's like, awesome, I'm going to be one of the first ones. I'm actually going to be, be able to get stuff in the overhead space. Or I'll be like, oh, I'm in one of the last. I'm going to be back in steerage. There's not going to be any space above. I'm going to have everything in my feet. Six years ago, Sean and I, we had this big trip to go see our son who was stationed in Hawaii and in Dallas, our one-hour layover, it got delayed, and we were, got delayed in another hour, and then it got delayed two hours, and we were waiting, and we were waiting, and a one-hour layover turned into eight hours, and as much as we were trying to maintain a good attitude, as you can probably imagine, it was just frustrating, and most of us, we just hate to wait And yet we all find ourselves in circumstances and environments where we're forced to wait, and none of us enjoy waiting. And when we come to this story in the chapter of redemption, a great deal of it hinges on waiting. Now, if you're just joining us, I want to strongly encourage you to get online and to catch the previous messages, because over the past several weeks, we have been working to connect the dots, to connect the dots and show how what we call the Bible isn't a book. It is 66 books written by over 40 different authors over 2,000 years on three different continents and three different languages, but it's all telling one singular story, the story of God's pursuit of restoring relationship with humankind. And the the word that is central to all of this is the word redemption. And thus far, we've shown how these pieces fit together. We began with Adam. And we talked about why we can take the story of Adam seriously. And the word that we associated with Adam was the word potential because he would determine the course of all of our lives. And following Adam, we looked at Abraham. And the word we associated with Abraham was the word promise because God had made him three seemingly impossible promises and yet all three came true. And then we looked at Moses and the word that we associated with Moses was the word Passover because in one of the most significant moments in history, God stepped onto the world stage in dramatic fashion and he revealed key aspects of his character. And then we looked at the life of David and the word that we associated with David was the word passion. 
because David, he was able to go his whole life and have this lifelong passion sustained because he saw and understood God for who he was. And then we looked at Zedekiah, who was one of the last kings of Israel. And the word that we associated with Zedekiah was the word pride because he and his country just decided, God, you're not the boss of me. We're not going to do things your way. No amount of warning and pleading was going to make a difference. So God, as a loving father, had to let them experience the consequences of their rebellion and to discipline them, not to pay them back, but to win them back. And then last week, we looked at Jesus and his payment, but from the vantage point of how his crucifixion and resurrection connected to everything that came before. And today, the person that we're going to focus on is you, because the story is about us. This is our story. And the word that we're going to associate with our name is patience. Because here's why. Here's what we say. Why, God? When, God? God, why don't you fix it? Why don't you change it? Why don't you heal it? When? when, Why? Why don't you stop evil and injustice? When? What are you waiting for? And we wait, and we wait, and we wait. It's like, God, it's been 2,000 years since Jesus. Like, And the encouraging news is that we're not the first Christians to be confused and frustrated by that. After Jesus had died on the cross, he's risen from the dead. He gathers his closest guys together, and they say to him exactly what you and I would say. Okay, Jesus, all the promises, all the buildup, hundreds of years, is now finally the time that you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel. I mean, the best that we can understand the Old Testament, everything that needs to happen has happened I mean, the nation, the kingdom of Israel to be restored, like all these things. We've had Abraham, we've had David, we've had Moses, all the prophets. You died on the cross, you rose from the dead, you're the king, it's time for the kingdom. But Jesus says, no, not yet. That there's, there's one more thing. And they were confused. Because as far as they knew, all the prophecies, all the promises that needed to be, be fulfilled had been fulfilled. They thought they were in the final chapter. So if you have your Bible or a Bible app, you'd like to follow along, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, starting there, because there was another chapter that they didn't know about. And it's understandable because there was nothing in the Old Testament that ended up, that alluded it to it in the way that it actually worked out. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So basically, Jesus, people think that you're a reincarnated prophet from the Old Testament or a reincarnated John the Baptist. But, but what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter a- answered pretty quickly, well, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you, You are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my ecclesia. And the word that he used was not the word church, it was ecclesia, translated. I will build my gathering, my assembly, my movement. And I imagine they're looking at each other going, no, like movement, no, you're you're the king. The king is here. This means we're going to have a kingdom. And he says, no, there's there's something else that happens first. And 2,000 years ago, he announced us. And here we are. 2,000 years later, part of the story, a prophecy fulfilled. Just one more substantiation that Jesus was not only who he claimed to be, but that every, everything that he promised would happen would eventually and ultimately come true. And he uses this little play on words. He says, and you are Peter. And he uses this Greek noun for rock, Petros. 
like a rock that you could hold in your hand. But then he changes the noun form, and on this Petra, this rock, this giant monolithic mountain-sized rock, this little statement that Little Rock just made, that I'm the Messiah, the Son of the living God, I'm going to build something that you guys can't even imagine. I'm going to build my ecclesia, my assembly, my movement, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I'm telling you guys, no opposition no obstacle, nothing will stop what I'm about to initiate in this world. And then 2,000 years later, here in this city and around this city and around the world, hundreds of millions of people are part of this assembly, this movement, worshiping Jesus Christ. Rome tried to stamp it out, and what happened? Rome became the hub of all Christian activity. The Chinese tried to stamp it out in China and they threw out all the missionaries. And then when the missionaries went back in, they found the church stronger than ever. The Soviet Union tried to get rid of the church, and the church grew under the Soviet Union. Nations and leaders and kingdoms and kings have come and gone. Technology has come and gone. The God is dead movement came and went. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ has survived persecution, poverty, prosperity, technology, education. It has even survived boring preaching. And it just marches on. Just as this first century nobody Nazarene said that it would. See, some of you, you've been going to church on and off your whole life, and you really had no idea. You have been involved with the fulfillment of a prophecy that sounded crazy. You've been involved in a chapter of the story of redemption and just as significant as what happened to Abraham, to Moses, to David, the day an angel came to a young teen and said the Messiah is coming, just as significant as all that and more is what God is doing now and today in building his unstoppable, life-transforming movement, and we are a part of the story of what God is doing. I mean, think about it. These guys had no clue what they were on the edge of. Something that 2,000 years later, on the other side of the world, we would be talking about and experiencing. And we have been invited to be a part of this very, very current chapter in this story. And God is no less interested and no less active in this age than he has been in ages past. And on the day that he departed from this earth, Jesus told us what our responsibility was, what we were to be about inside this chapter I talk about this often because it is so important for us to understand. A few chapters later in Matthew 28, 40 days after the resurrection and being seen by hundreds, it's time for Jesus to go. So the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When he saw them, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. The good news from that verse is that you should never beat yourself up when you struggle with doubt. I mean, Jesus was standing right there in front of them about 42 days after being publicly tortured, violently executed, entombed, and now they're standing there looking at him with their very own eyes, but it so violated their sense of reality and comprehension that even looking directly at him, they struggled to believe, to get their minds around it. But Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, that my Father has given me ultimate authority in heaven and on earth. I am the king. Therefore, here is my assignment for you as your king. Go make disciples. Go and make learners and followers of me, where Jesus, of all nations, 
what? I mean, Jesus, Abraham, Moses, David, I thought this was about a family, a nation, a geographical, geographical kingdom. Jesus says, no, there's another chapter. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the what? The age. He's saying, this is just another chapter. It will begin and it will end. And until I return during this time of the church, here's what you're to do. You are to be about bringing people into my kingdom based on the fact that I am the son of the living God. And Jesus is saying something very important. He's saying during that time, to the degree that you are locked into my agenda, I will be with you all the way to the very end of the age. Do you know what the promise is of these verses? The promise is that to the degree that the individual Christian or the body of believers are serious about doing what God has left us here to do, like men and women in the past have been serious about what God asked them to do, to the degree that we take seriously Christ's command to that degree, the Spirit of God will be a part of what we're about. In other words, the promise is, as you fulfill your responsibility in this age, I will be with you. Do you know why it is that you've been to some churches that were just so dead, you wondered why they didn't just sell the building and give the money away? Like, there's just no life to it. It's kind of depressing. It's kind of awkward. Can I give you just a broad stroke explanation? It's because they're no longer doing what God left them here to do, so he just doesn't see any reason to show up. And and if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, maybe you've been a Christian a long time, and you'd say, you know, the truth is, Chad, my my Christian life, my relationship with God, it's kind of flat. It's kind of boring. It's kind of lifeless. Listen, I, I... I'm not trying to be mean because I've been there more than once in my life. But Jesus would say to you and to me, if it's flat, if it's boring, if it's lifeless, it's because you're not doing what God left you here to do. So why would God show up in your life? What's the point? Because life's pretty much about you and your peace and your comfort and your security. See, it's when men and women and the next generation come together to accomplish what God has called and left us here to accomplish. That's where God shows up and gets active. It's just like where he showed up in the days of Abraham, in the days of Moses, in the days of David, the days of Zedekiah, the days of the prophets, the days of Jesus. If you want to get in on what God is up to in this generation, then what it's going to require is you have to embrace the commission that Jesus gave to you and gave to me and gave us that day that he established the ecclesia, what we call the church, and then sent the Holy Spirit to empower us, to bring people into his kingdom. Because if you don't, you miss the opportunity of your lifetime. You miss your opportunity to be a part of the story, and we miss our opportunity to be a part of what God has called us to be and play a significant role in what God is up to in this world, in this time, in this generation. And here's the deal. The truth is, it can be hard for us to get our minds around and believe that this age, this generation, that the world as we know it is going to come to an end. 
but it will. As a side note, don't miss next uh, two weeks from now. But if the world comes to an end, okay, but otherwise be here. It can be hard for us to believe that this is going to happen, but Jesus has told us this is going to happen. This world would come to an end. And honestly, you don't have to be a Christian or even a religious person to, to sense it, to feel it. Humanity is not getting better. The world is not getting better. With all of our scientific and technological advances, we intuitively sense we are on, on an unstoppable trajectory towards mutually assured destruction. And Jesus hasn't kept it secret. He says a final day is coming. And on that day, when we see God and all of reality unfiltered with absolute clarity, we're going to wish that we'd been about the thing that God sent us and left us here to do. And I'm no different than you. Of course I wish he would hurry up. I wish he would hurry up and end pain and suffering. Of course I wish God would hurry up and end social injustice and ethnic cleansing and all the illnesses and disease and plagues that kill us and the people that we love. Of course I wish he would hurry up and clean up this mess and end sin and sorrow and death once and for all. And he will. The day is coming. The Apostle Peter, he writes something to help us understand, and it doesn't get much clearer than this. He writes, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. I dispute that. Don't you? It's like, God, seriously, it's been 2,000 years. How much time do you need? Peter says, no, the, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. There is a larger story unfolding that is bigger than just life in this lifetime. And someday, and I can't wait for it, all the pieces of history, of our world, of your personal history, my personal history, how it all fits together, that one day it will be made utterly clear and it will finally make sense. But in the meantime, he calls us, and he waits, and he calls on us, and he waits, and he waits, and he's patient with us, and he's patient with the people in your life that don't believe in him, that don't care about him. He's patient. People he desperately wants to connect with and redeem. And as the body of Christ, we're to be his presence. You, you are the presence in the lives of those people around you if you're a Jesus follower people who haven't come to know and put their trust in Jesus, and we're to make followers, make disciples, knowing that there are bookends to this age, and it will come to an end. And when it does, so does our opportunity. And you'll wish you'd been a part of the action, part of what God called you to do. So to put some handlebars on this for you, if you read the whole New Testament, here's what you find that God has called us to do. There are basically three pursuits. And the first is that we've got to pursue intimacy with God, that it's personal. It's my prayer life. It's my devotional life. It's time in my day, each day, where I on purpose engage my Heavenly Father in prayer, in reading, in studying Scripture, especially the New Testament. It's reading and engaging books and resources and podcasts to help me better understand my Heavenly Father and my Lord and what it looks like to do life with Him. It's intimate. It's personal relationship. The second part is to pursue community with other Christians, or you might say pursue community with insiders. 
meaning people who like you who have embraced and are seeking to follow Jesus because we've been called to do life together as a body and to work together in such a way as to be the body of Christ, which means it's my responsibility and it's yours to make time in our daily lives to develop healthy relationships with other believers and to work side by side so that we can be the church that God has called us to be. Because there's no greater evangelistic tool, no greater uh, environment for unbelievers than to, for them to become believers than to see Christians simply living out a prevailing faith and a selfless love with one another. We're to pursue intimacy one-on-one with God, pursue authentic, healthy relationships with other believers. And the third thing that you see throughout the New Testament is that we're to pursue influence with people who are outside the church, influence with the people in our lives who are not Christians. Why? Because that's what Jesus has called us to do. He's being patient. He's being patient in our lives, and there's longing for them to simply accept his offer of new life. So we're to leverage our influence through relationships with the people around us so that they might see and hear something different in us and ultimately put their faith in Christ. Now, if you're listening to me and you're not a Christian, that bothers you. It's why, why can't you just leave me alone? I'm not religious. I don't want to be. Uh, just why can't you leave me alone? I don't want to be a Christian. I just think it's going to work out someday. I've got my beliefs. You've got your beliefs. Why do you keep bothering me? And there are many reasons, but I'll simplify it. It's because we believe all this. We believe there's more to this life than this life. We believe that there's a heaven and a hell, a heaven and a hell, and that people go to one or the other forever, forever. So what kind of people would we be if we didn't bother you? I've shared before how an interview with Penn Jillette, he is a famous atheist, and he said, I often say, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. This is an atheist. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell and not getting an eternal life or whatever, and you think it's not really worth telling them because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? Like he equates it with like hating somebody. How much do you have to hate someone to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? If I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck is coming at you and you didn't believe it, that a truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point that I tackle you. And this is more important than that. See, if we're a Christian, we believe all this. We believe there's a truck coming after you. We believe your house is on fire. We're knocking on the door. We're trying to get you out. That's just the way we see it. But the sad news is if we were doing a good job, it wouldn't bother people that aren't Christians. See, people who weren't religious people weren't offended by Jesus. They were offended by the religious people. People who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. And if someone's been unnecessarily offended by Christians or our approach, the problem isn't God. The problem is us. Because if we genuinely, as a community of Christians, reflected the character and nature of Jesus Christ, we would be attractive to those who don't consider themselves a believer or religious or aren't sure. The gospel says sinners love to be around Jesus. So how that translates out for me as I think about it is if we're doing it right, for example, everyone would want to work for a Christian. Like, I don't believe what they believe, but man, working for a Christian, that's the best. Like, I feel like I matter. I feel valued. I feel supported. I feel respected. I feel led well. And I can tell that I'm more than just a means to a financial end. 
Everybody should want to work with Christians. I mean, they're just reliable, and they're trustworthy, and they show up on time, and they work hard, and I trust them. I, they, they never talk behind other people's backs. I mean, they're just so kind and generous towards their coworkers. It's crazy. Every parent should want their adult child to marry a Christian. It's like, are you kidding me? The way those husbands love and treat their wives and how those, those Christian wives, women love their husbands, it's incredible. I want that for my children and my grandchildren. And we've been invited to be a part of the story and the baton of being the best version of church in this generation, if we're a Christian, has been handed to us. And if we're going to be what God has called us to be and fulfill our obligation and our responsibility in this generation, then we have to be a community of believers who pursue intimacy with God and community with insiders and influence with outsiders and the lives of people who are outside of the faith. So for the Christians listening to me, let me just ask, which of those three today do you need to begin ratcheting up? What's your intimate, personal, one-on-one relationship with God like these days? Have you lost your joy? Have you lost your excitement? Maybe, honestly, you're not sure you ever really felt it. Is your relationship with God is kind of boring or lifeless? It's time for a change. It's a lot like marriage. You can have a boring, lifeless, unfulfilling marriage, but who wants that? Now, you know, from the beginning of our marriage over three decades ago, one of the best commitments that Shauna and I made before we had children was we refused to just stay married. We were determined, even if we had to kill each other, to have a mutually fulfilling, life-giving marriage, to have the kind of marriage that should our children marry someday, that their marriage, if it ended up a reflection of ours, that we would be happy for them and celebrate that. So that meant prioritizing time, prioritizing tons of forgiveness, prioritizing pursuit, prioritizing doing the things that built that kind of marriage over time. And it's the same with the relationship with God, that you're going to get out of it what you put into it. And what I want for you is to refuse to accept a boring, lifeless relationship with God And not just for your sake, for our sake, for the church's sake, for the next generation's sake, for the opportunity that you have to be a part of what God wants to do and what he's up to today. So it doesn't come the day that you look back and you think, oh my gosh, what I missed out on. Look what I could have been a part of. How is your relationship with other believers? Or are you one of those people, sort of, and I've had people in my life and my family like this with kind of the mindset, you know, I can do my faith alone. I don't, you know, I, I don't need to go to church to be grouped with other Christians. I don't need anybody. I'm the Lone Ranger. Me and God are the majority. You just need to know that's not in the Bible anywhere. It's made up. It's just personality. It's just trying to be comfortable, but it's not in the Bible. And as a qualifier, if you're a Jesus follower we, follower, we don't go to church. We are the church. And the community of believers needs you and needs your gifts for us to be what God has called us to be collectively and for you to experience all that God wants to do in you and through you. You need to be in regular, authentic relationships and community with other believers. As is often said around here, circles are better than rows. And how about your relationships with unbelievers? 
Let me ask it this way. Outside of family members, who are you concerned about? Who are you burdened for? Who do you pray for? Who are you engaging and intentionally investing who isn't a Christian? I mean, is there anybody? Are the people around you at work just a means to a financial end? Are the people where you exercise just bodies that are working around out around you and just, you just hope they don't hog the equipment you want to use? When was the last time you invited someone to come sit with you on a Sunday? Is, it there, is there anybody in your life that they just kind of break your heart because you know what's going on in their life and you know that because you're intentionally engaging them and their life? and that you desire for them to know God and come to faith in Christ, who are you praying for? You've got to get in the game. This is what God is waiting for. And if you want to experience the kind of faith that has life and strength to it, experience the power and the presence of Christ and God in your life, then you've got to get in on what he's in on. And what he's in on, the New Testament is so very clear. What he is up to in this age is making disciples, making followers. It's helping people find and follow Jesus. It's bringing people in your life to the point where they are willing and ready to follow Jesus Christ and that their relationship with him will become the preeminent relationship in their life. And I don't know how to say this any other way, but the context in which we live is so incredible. Look at all that has come before us. I mean, imagine being on the front end wondering how this is all going to work out. We know how it's going to work out. I mean, think of it. We're in the second to the last chapter. We're at the tail end, the final countdown, possibly the last page. If anybody should have a prevailing, passionate faith, it ought to be us. I mean, what else do we need to know to just be utterly, unbelievably committed and sold out for Jesus Christ? The context in which we live is so incredible and unbelievable. We are part of the church, and 2,000 years has proven nothing is going to stop it. So we might as well get in on it and what God is up to because there will come an end, and we are closer to it than any other humans who have ever walked this planet. God has chosen us to be a part of this story And he's entrusted to us the same message that has been passed down from generation to generation to generation. This message of God's offer of grace and mercy and love and his desire to dwell with men and women in this life and the life to come. And he's entrusted that to us. One day God showed up in the desert and said to a nobody, I'm going to make you a great nation. And sure enough, we know his name and we know his nation 4,000 years later. Then one God, day God showed up in the wilderness and said to a man, that you, a nobody, you're going to lead a nation out of bondage and I'm going to do it in such a way that the world knows that I'm God. And we not only know that story, but we know that nation. And then one day God raised up a king and he said, from your lineage is going to come a Messiah. And hundreds of years later, Jesus walked onto this planet from the line of David. And an angel appeared to a teenage girl and said that you're going to be with child and you're going to name him Yeshua, Jesus. And he's going to save his people from their sins. And we've been reading about him and writing songs about him and worshiping him ever since. So why in the world would we doubt that we are just one chapter, maybe one page away from the end of all things? Aren't you glad you were born in this chapter and not then? 
I mean, think about it. Toilet paper, wipes, hot showers, deodorant, air conditioning, soap, refrigeration, cold. I don't think I could have made it earlier on. Thank you, God, for putting me here. So if you consider yourself part of the church or part of the larger movement of Jesus, then let's be the church. Wherever God has you throughout your week, as well as what we do here on the weekends, let's not miss the opportunity to be what God has called us to be and to accomplish what God has given us to accomplish. I invite the band up. I get impatient just like you. But we're to wait. But we're to wait patiently and we're to wait proactively. And while we wait, let's pursue intimacy with God. Let's pursue community with one another. And in every opportunity, let's leverage our influence in the lives of those outside the church, knowing that one day this age is going to come to an end and that we're going to stand before our Father in heaven and his Son, Jesus Christ, and we're going to give an account. And my hope for you and for me is that we can look at one another and go, was that something or what? Thank you, God. Thank you for allowing me to be a small part of what you've done through the beginning of time. Thank you for letting me be a part of the story of redemption. Let me pray for us. Father, I do thank you for this time in which we were born. And Father, the, the challenges in the world, they, can, they just can feel and seem so overwhelming to us. And the challenges and what we're experiencing in our own personal lives, Father, it can make our worlds become so very small. And unfortunately, that makes you very small. And so, Father, I pray for every single one of us that your helper, your spirit, would guide our hearts and guide our minds and that you would cause us to look in the mirror and see ourselves the way you see us and not the way the world says we should see ourselves. I pray, God, that you would help us to see the people around us the way that you see them and not through all the, the quirks and the flaws and the other things that we just, we tend to judge and write people off. God, and I pray, God, that you would make us the kind of people that everybody would want to work with, everybody would want to be in a relationship with, because we live in love like your son Jesus did. We cannot do it without your help. And Father, I pray for everyone listening to me and for myself and for the people that you've placed in our lives on purpose, because you want to use us specifically to help them take their next step towards you and towards trusting your son Jesus. Father, I pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.